Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. Good morning. Um, Today's teaching comes from Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him whom after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Good morning. All right, so if you've been with us over the past, I think almost a year, we've been working our way through the book of Luke. And over the last few weeks, we've seen that Jesus is drawing larger and larger crowds. And we see it this morning in in the first verse we look at. It says, so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another. And so the crowds are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. He's attracting larger and larger crowds. And yet his message stays the same. He is after the heart. Jesus is after the heart. And we saw it last week uh, with the Pharisees. Daniel talked about how Jesus was teaching it's not about what's outside the cup that matters. It's the inside of the cup. It's the heart. And today he's going to shift his focus. He's going to address his disciples and his followers. But again, his message is the same. He is after the heart. And he is after the heart because he is calling his disciples, he's calling his followers to something great. He's calling them to be a part of something bigger than themselves, something larger than themselves. And he knows that it starts in the heart. So a couple months ago, my wife and I, we had a movie night and we watched this movie, Only the Brave. So I don't know if you guys have seen this, but it's a movie about a group of firefighters in Prescott, Arizona. And what makes this group of firefighters different is they only fight wildfires. And so this group, they're called the Granite Mountain Hotshots. And this is a a scene from the movie. Uh, And it's really cool because they are all in on fighting wildfires. It is their passion. 
And so as, as my wife and I were watching this movie, there were a couple of things that stood out to us about this group of guys. And so, again, like I said, they are a team of firefighters, but they are more than a team. And we're going to see a picture of the real Granite Mountain hotshots, and we'll see that they are a brotherhood, like they are a family. They don't just train together and work together. They take care of each other, and they love each other. And I know it's just one picture, but you can kind of see it even in that picture, like, man, we are in this together. And so that was cool. And then the other thing we noticed is that this fighting wildfires was not just like a job to them. It's like it was their life and it was their passion. So if you're going to fight wildfires, I mean, you will risk your life. But for them, it's like they were so passionate about it, so focused on the mission, so lost in the mission that they didn't think about themselves. They basically forgot about themselves. And I think when we see movies like that or when we hear stories like that, there's something inside of us. It like stirs something inside of us that's like, man, I want something like that. You know, I want to be a part of something like that. I want to be a part of something bigger than myself. I want to be a part of something great, something where I get so lost in the mission, I forget all about myself. And so after seeing that, I'm like, man, have I ever had a chance for something like that? Have I ever had like an opportunity to do something great and so lots of things, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, there, there was one thing that actually did come to mind where I had an opportunity to do something great. Um, and it was several years ago. I was actually in high school at the time and it was Thanksgiving day. So I don't know what Thanksgiving is like at your house, but at my house, it's a pretty big deal. And so we get it to get out all the fancy stuff. So we get out like fancy plates or fancy dishes, I should say, and, and fancy glasses. And we even get out those fancy candles that we never get to light. And we actually get to light them because it's Thanksgiving. So, so it's a really big deal. So this particular Thanksgiving, we finish eating the meal. And my mom is like clearing out the dishes, which really shouldn't be her job. Should probably be my job. But anyway, she was doing it. And so she's just reaching across the table, grabbing some of the dishes and her hair catches on fire. And so everyone kind of freaks out, like, oh my goodness, mom's hair's on fire. But of course me, this is an opportunity to do something great. I am gonna save the day. So I, there's no time to think, you just act, right? So in this moment, I just take off my shirt and I'm ready to stamp out this fire. But there was a problem. After I take off my shirt, I kind of freeze and I'm like, I've never put out a fire before. Is this like actually going to work? Will this actually put out the fire? Am I just going to have my shirt catch on fire? Am I going to burn my fingers? And so I have like this internal crisis going on. And so meanwhile, my dad, he runs to the sink like a man of wisdom would do, gets a cup of water and puts out the fire. And so everyone breathes like this sigh of relief. Oh, and then they just kind of look at me. And I'm standing there with my shirt in my hand. And they're like, what are you doing? Because they don't know about this internal struggle. I'm like, man, I was going to do it. but uh. And so basically, I missed out on this opportunity to do something great. And so today, clearly on a much larger scale, Jesus is going to invite the disciples into something great. He's going to invite them to be a part of something larger than themselves. And we're going to see if the disciples have the courage 
to do it? Will they be all in with Jesus? And what Jesus is going to do is he's actually going to lay out a process, lay out a path for how the disciples can do this, how they can be all in. And it's actually three steps, and we'll look at these three steps today. We're going to look at fear, forgiveness, and freedom. So first we're going to look at fear and how God alone is worthy of our fear. And then we're going to look at free, or forgiveness and how forgiveness comes through Christ alone. And then finally we're going to look at freedom and if we are really all in how we actually step into a life of freedom. So first, fear. And we'll pick it up in verse 4. Jesus is talking to his disciples and this is what he says. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So Jesus gives his disciples this command. Don't fear people. Fear God. And he's really clear about this. He says, don't fear those who can kill the body only. And that's all that they can do. Fear the one who has authority to kill the body and the soul. He, he can kill the body and send the soul to hell. And so before we move on, I think it's helpful to remember the context. Again, we talked about every week the crowds are getting larger Jesus is attracting more and more attention, and so his followers are attracting more and more attention, and it's not always the good kind of attention. With greater and greater crowds comes greater and greater opposition. And so death threats for Jesus and his followers are probably a normal thing. And I think this is starting to click for the disciples. And they didn't know this at the time, but as it would turn out, what would actually happen is all but one of the 12 disciples would be martyred for their faith in Christ, for following Jesus. They would be killed. And the one who was not martyred was banished, sent away to an island to grow old and die alone. So again, they don't know this at the time. They don't know for sure that that's going to be their fate. But again, I think it's starting to click. They're starting to realize, man, we are starting to face some opposition. If we keep following Jesus, we are going to suffer. This is not going to be easy. This is dangerous. And so Jesus addresses this and he gives them this warning. This is a timely warning to not fear those who kill the body, but fear God. And while it's a timely warning for the disciples, I think it still applies to us today. I think it's a timeless warning also. So what do I mean by that? I mean, I'm not receiving death threats on a regular basis. I don't fear for my life. I think most of you probably don't fear for your life on a regular basis. But even still, I have a lot of what I would call like earthly fears. On a typical day, I don't wake up and, and think about my soul in eternity. I'm much more focused on what I need right here and right now, today. And I'm after things like comfort, security, approval, respect. I'm after these earthly things, and my fears reflect that. 
I have fears like, oh man, what are people going to think about me? Or fears like, you know, am I going to fit in? Will I do a good enough job? Uh, what if I fail? What happens if I fail? Or, or maybe I'm facing a big decision and I fear like, man, what if I mess this up? What if I do the wrong thing? Is this the right job? Is this the right move for my family? And I start to get weighed down. And I think it's tough because that's what I see every day. My earthly fears, this earthly stuff is what is in front of me every day. I'm surrounded by it. And since I'm surrounded by this earthly stuff, it's really easy to get distracted from the one that really matters. That one fear that is bigger than all these earthly fears. And that is exactly what Jesus is trying to communicate to his disciples. And that is why he is so passionate as he's talking with them. We'll look at it again, and I want us to see how many times he uses the word fear as he talks to his disciples. He says, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell and he's not done yet. He says, yes, I tell you, fear him. So he says it four times because he's really trying to make a point. He's saying now is not the time to turn away. I know you're starting to feel it. You're starting to feel that weight. You're going to suffer. This is hard. I know you're starting to feel that, but now is not the time to turn away. Now is the time to press in because God is worthy. He is worthy of your fear and he is the only one worthy of your fear, of your awe, of your reverence. He is the truer and better fear. And Jesus points to a couple of reasons for this. He says, God is the one with all authority. He has authority over the body and the soul. And then he goes on and he says in verse 6, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. So what is he saying? He's saying, five sparrows are worth two pennies. And yet I know everything about a sparrow. I know a sparrow inside and out. How much more do I know everything about you? I know the number of hairs on your head. And I don't have very many and they're getting kind of short, but he knows the number of hairs on my head. And sometimes I think we hear, oh, he knows the hairs of your head and we take comfort in that. But at first glance, that's scary. He knows us inside and out. The one with all authority has all knowledge of the body and the soul. And so as I've been thinking about this, one way that I've kind of wrapped my head around this is like, let's say I'm in a hurry and I decide to go 90 miles an hour down 65 instead of, you know, the speed limit, which I think is 65. So I'm like, I'm going to go 90. And so the highway patrol has authority in that situation. They can shut me down. But if they don't know, if they don't have knowledge of this going 90, then there's really, you know, I'm in the clear. I'm safe. And at the same time, my wife can be in the passenger seat 
And she can have knowledge of this. I'm going 90 and it's 65. But she does not have authority. But what would really be frightening is if somehow the highway patrol finds a way into my passenger seat. And so as I'm going down the highway, he not only has all authority, but he has all knowledge. And again, that is scary. I should be scared in that situation. And so that's what Jesus is pointing out to the disciples, that God has that authority and that knowledge on a completely different level. He has authority over the body and soul and knowledge over the body and soul. And Jesus talks about this right before he starts talking to his disciples about fear. He reminds them of this knowledge. In verses 2 and 3, Jesus says, Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Again, he is saying, yes, there is one with all authority, and he also has all knowledge, and there is no escape. So we should be afraid. In the light of the glory of God, I am completely known. Every fear, every sin, every thought, all my guilt is exposed. And so what would this look like? What would this look like to really get that, to really grasp this? And so about 700 years before Jesus, there's the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah actually gets to see a vision of the glory of God. He gets to see what this all authority and this all knowledge looks like. And he cries out, he responds to what this might look like to really see it. And we see it in Isaiah 6 Five, Isaiah cries out, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I think the natural response is, Woe is me. We see the greatness of God, and we are filled with woe. Last week, Jesus was pleading with the Pharisees, and he says, Woe to you. Woe to you, woe to you. And now he speaks to the disciples and he says, I want you to get it inside. I want you to get this in your hearts so that you can say, woe is me. And just like Isaiah, see this true king, see the light of the glory of God and know that we are exposed, that we are in need. But thankfully, he doesn't stop there. Yes, we do need to fear God. But then he goes on in verse 7. He says, fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. So the one with all authority and all knowledge is also all loving. He values us. He values you. He knows you. He knows me. And he still loves me. And he loves us so much that he's going to see this woe. He knows. He sees this need. He sees when we are exposed and he says, I'm going to do something about that. He sees our sin and guilt and he says, I am going to make a way for forgiveness. And so that's this second step we're going to talk about today. So first, fear. We need to fear God alone. And then second, forgiveness. 
Once we see God for who he really is, we are exposed and we see our deep need for forgiveness. And so before we look at this section in Luke where Jesus talks about it, I want to just give us a little framework for what we're about to read. So what Jesus is going to do is he is going to lay out kind of a process of how we deal with our guilt and how we are led into forgiveness. And this is what he's going to say. He's going to say, if we admit our guilt and we admit that we need him, we will be forgiven. But if we deny our guilt, deny that we need him, we will not be forgiven. And so he's going to lay it out, and that sounds pretty simple. Admit our guilt, admit my need for Jesus, be forgiven. Deny my guilt, deny my need for Jesus, and I will, be, I will not be forgiven. That's simple, but it's really hard. And the reason it's hard is because it takes humility. And humility is really hard because humility means admitting that I am wrong and admitting that I need help. And I don't know about you guys, but I have a hard time admitting when I am wrong. I even have a hard time admitting to you today that I have a hard time admitting when I am wrong. And my wife can tell this to you, that I am very defensive. And it shows up in a lot of different ways, but uh, just a couple weeks ago, uh, I was in the kitchen, I forget what I was doing, and my wife comes in and she asks a very innocent question. She says, you know, can you please take out the trash? And so again, very innocent question, but that is not what I heard. I didn't hear her say, you know, will you please take out the trash? What I hear is, why haven't you taken out the trash yet? And so this defensiveness just cries out and I start making excuses. I'm like, oh man, it's, it's been really cold out, so I haven't done that yet. And it's, I mean, it's on, I was gonna do that tomorrow. It's on the, the trash guys don't come till tomorrow, so I'm good. And again, she wasn't even blaming me. It was, it was just a question, but I think it shows something about my heart and I, and I think a lot of us that we have this tendency to be defensive and that humility Admitting when we are wrong is hard. And so, because of that, this simple process is actually very difficult. And it is actually impossible for us to come to Jesus on our own power. But God knows that, and that is why he has given us the Holy Spirit. So we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit here for a second. The role of the Holy Spirit is to lead us to Jesus. He humbles us, exposes our sin, and leads us to Jesus. So in this way, you know, Jesus is the way of forgiveness, and the Holy Spirit is the guide. And Jesus talks about this. He talks about it in John 16. Uh, Jesus says, and when he comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world regarding sin and he will guide you into all truth. Again, the Holy Spirit humbles us, exposes our sin and points us to Jesus. So as I've been thinking about this, this is another way that I've kind of wrapped my mind around it. So let's say I go to the doctor and it's my annual physical. So I go in and, you know, have the, have the physical part, draw some blood, get some blood tests. 
And then the doctor comes in and he's like, oh man, I have, I have terrible news. I have bad news for you. You have a horrible disease and it is fatal and it is actually killing you even as we speak right now. And then he says, but there is some good news. There's some good news. There is a cure. And all you have to do is take this one specific medicine, take this medicine, and it will wipe out the disease and you will be completely fine. You'll never have to deal with it again. And so in that moment, I actually have a choice to make. I can say, oh man, thank you. I can, I can believe the doctor and say, yes, please give me the medicine, take the medicine and be cured. Or I can say, this guy is crazy. What? I feel fine. I'm not sick at all. And maybe I even get a little offended. Like, who does this guy think he is? I'm getting a second opinion. You know, I'm not sick. And so since I'm not sick, I'm not going to take this medicine. And so in this scenario, the Holy Spirit is kind of this role of the doctor. And Jesus is the medicine. So again, the Holy Spirit exposes our sickness. He exposes our sin. And he points us to healing. He points us to Jesus. And Jesus is that. He is that healing. He is our forgiveness. And so now with this framework in mind, we're going to dive into the text. So we're going to pick it up in verse 8. Jesus says, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. So as we read that, it's like, yeah, that makes sense. That's just what we talked about. You know, I acknowledge Jesus. I put my trust in him and I will be saved. I deny him, then I'm doomed. Basically, he will deny me. And then we get to verse 10 and verse 10 is where it can get a little confusing. So what we're going to do is we're going to read verse 10 and then we'll kind of tackle a few questions that it brings up. So verse 10, Jesus says, And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. This is kind of a tough text to really understand, especially that second half where it says, the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. I think we want to say, what? That doesn't make sense. All everything will be forgiven. All sins will be forgiven. Doesn't scripture say that? And I would say, yes, it, it does. In 1 John 1, 7, it says, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And Isaiah 1, 18 says, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. So then it's, it begs that question, well, which is it? Is it all sins are forgiven or all but this one sin, this really bad sin? And as I studied this, I listened to uh, Tim Keller, uh, who's a pastor and author in New York. And, and I think Tim Keller gives us a really good way to think about this verse. And this is what he says. He says, all sins are forgivable, but it is possible to put yourself outside God's power to forgive. So again, all sins are forgivable, but it is possible to put yourself outside God's power to forgive. So then the natural question is, I don't want to do that. I don't want to put myself outside God's power to forgive. Uh, what does that look like? What is that? 
And I think what it is, is to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus is talking about here. If you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you put yourself outside God's power to forgive. And so then, obviously, the next question is, well, what is that? I don't understand. What is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? So before we talk about what it is, I think it is helpful to talk about what it is not. So if I go home today and I just go crazy, I lock myself in a room and I just decide to cuss out the Holy Spirit. That, if I do that, am I doomed for all eternity? Have I committed the unforgivable sin? And the answer to that is no. So that, that is this external action of speaking against the Holy Spirit. And that's basically what Jesus is talking about in the first half of this verse. So we'll look at it again. It says, And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. If you externally speak out, even against the Son of Man, you will be forgiven. So the Son of Man is this royal title. The Son of Man is a title of a king. And in Jesus' day, if you speak against a king, that is a capital offense. You are killed on the spot. And so what Jesus is saying is all sins will be forgiven even if you speak against your king, you will be forgiven. And so, again, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not this external action speaking against the Holy Spirit. It is something much deeper. It is an internal rejection of the Holy Spirit at the deepest level of our soul. It is to reject the work of the Holy Spirit that we just talked about to humble us, expose our sin, and lead us to Jesus. And in rejecting this work, in rejecting the Holy Spirit, we are basically rejecting forgiveness. And John sums this up. I think it's a nice way of, of kind of summing this up for us. In 1 John 1, 8 and 9, it says, If we say we have no sin, which is basically if we reject the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, to humble us, expose our sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We are not forgiven. But if we confess our sin, if we respond to the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and we put all of our trust in Christ, well, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So one, one more thing to say about this verse before we move on. And that is that a lot of people can be weighed down by this verse, weighed down by a fear. Like, man, have I committed this sin? They're concerned. You know, I don't want to commit the unforgivable sin. Have I committed this sin? And so the truth is, if you are concerned that you may have committed this sin, then you haven't. Because the very presence of a concern shows that there is a response to the Holy Spirit. You're sensitive to the Holy Spirit. So again, the way of forgiveness is Jesus and our guide along the way is the Holy Spirit. So now we get to this third step on this path that Jesus is laying out. First, fear. We fear God alone. Second, forgiveness. We trust in Christ alone for our forgiveness. 
And then finally we ask, you know, what would this look like? So let's say I have this fear and I have this trust in Christ for forgiveness. Does that really change anything? Does my life look any different? And what Jesus is going to say is, yes, it does. It looks like freedom. We step into a life of freedom. Because if we fear God alone, if we have this right kind of fear, then we are set free from these earthly fears. And if we are clinging to Christ for our forgiveness, if we trust in Christ alone, then we are set free from ourself. We aren't looking at ourselves anymore. We are looking to Jesus and we walk in freedom. And so Jesus says, all right, disciples, listen, we are going to apply what I have just taught you. Listen. And so we see that in verses 11 and 12. Jesus says, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about, what, about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So again, we've talked about the crowds are getting larger. The opposition is growing and Jesus calls it out. He says, yep, that's true. You are going to suffer. This is hard. This is not going to be easy. You are going to be brought before synagogues and rulers and authorities. It's not going to be easy. But here's what I'm going to tell you. Do not be anxious. Don't be anxious because there is a greater fear. Don't worry about them. Don't worry about the synagogues and the rulers and authorities. It's not about them. It's about me. So he says, do not be anxious. And he says, because you don't have to worry about how you should defend yourself. He says, it's not about them and it's not about you. It's about me. And as Jesus tells us to his disciples, it reminds me of another time he's talking to his disciples. In John 16, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. It's not going to be easy. You're going to suffer. It's going to be hard, but take heart. I have overcome the world. What have I overcome? I have overcome everything. Any earthly fear you can bring to me, I have overcome it. And who's overcome it? I have overcome it. It's not about you. It's not on you to do it. I have done it. And I think as the disciples start to get it, you know, as they start to believe this, there's, there's a release. They start to feel this freedom. And this freedom that Jesus is calling his disciples to is meant for us today. That same freedom that he's calling his disciples into, he is calling us into today. Paul says in Galatians, in Galatians 5.1, he says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. He is inviting us to really live. This is that life we have always wanted. This is that opportunity for greatness. We are invited to be children of the King. You are a child of the King. And because of that, we are a part of something great. We are a part of something bigger than ourselves. And it's a life that starts deep in our soul and it erupts out in freedom. So I'm, I'm a dad. I have four kids. 
And as a dad, there is nothing I want more for my kids than freedom. One of my sons is weighed down by a lot of fears. He struggles with fear and it's a lot of things. But one of the big things that he is afraid of is school. And so over the Christmas break, you know, as the days of the break were winding down and we're getting closer to going back to school, it's like every day he would ask me, when, when's the first day of school? When do I have to go back to school again? Oh man, when, when is it? And then finally that day comes and I can tell that he's afraid. And so I'm the one that takes him to school. And so a lot of days I'll look in the back seat and I'll see him and we're getting close to the school and he'll start to fidget a little bit. And sometimes I see his eyes water a little bit. I can tell he's, he's about to cry. And then we get to school and I'm like, oh, all right, buddy, let's go on in. So I walk him in, you know, I pray with him. I make sure he gets settled. And I'm like, okay, you, you all right, buddy? You ready to have a good day? And then he gets through it. And so as his dad, of course, I'm happy to do that. I am happy to walk him into school. I'm happy to pray for him, make sure he has a good day. But what I want more than that is for him to be free. What I really want for him is freedom from that fear. And I think our heavenly father feels the same way. He is happy to walk us through. He is happy to take us by the hand and help us navigate the fears and anxieties of this life. But more than that, he wants us to experience freedom. He says, Christ, my son came to set you free. And I think if we really get that, if we get that deep in our hearts, if we believe it, we start to walk in it. And our lives look a little bit different. There is freedom. This earthly stuff, these earthly fears that we talk about, they don't have any power anymore. They don't weigh us down anymore. Paul talks about this in Galatians 4. He says, But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again? to the weak and worthless principles of the world. He's saying, you are a child of the king. We are children of the king. As we press into our father, these weak and worthless principles of the world are exposed. They're weak and they're worthless. They don't weigh us down anymore. We find freedom. And so if we really want to see what this could look like, this life of freedom, we can look at the life of Jesus. Jesus shows us what this looks like because he is always pressing into the Father, always trusting the Father, and it shows. I think if there is a word to sum up the life of Jesus, it might be freedom. As Jesus lived on this earth, he had this radical disinterest in earthly stuff. He just didn't care. He, it did not appeal to him in any way. He was so captivated, so satisfied by his father, the things of this earth had no appeal at all. And I think we get a really clear picture of this when he goes to the cross. And every shred of this earthly life is stripped away from Jesus. Everything is taken away. 
And what he says is the same thing that his life has been proclaiming his entire time on earth from beginning to the end. And what he says is, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Just like I've always done every step of the way. Father, into, my hand, into your hands I commit my spirit. So again, what does this mean for us today? What, what does this mean? Does this mean that we should never worry? That we should never be anxious? You know, is that even possible? I don't know. I've wrestled with that a lot this last week. And, and I think, you know, that, that sounds kind of nice. You know, what if that could be true? What if it were possible? What if Christ dwelled in you so richly that maybe you worried less? Or you were anxious less? Or what if you were being filled so full, you were being filled so full with the fullness of God that there was no room for anything else? Again, I think, for me, I think that sounds nice. I think that sounds like freedom. And I think that is what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 3. Paul prays this prayer and he's talking about how he is on this mission. He wants to share this message of freedom. And as he's called to, the, to share this message, this is what he says in Ephesians 3. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And as we are filled with the fullness of God, there isn't room for anything else. Everything else just fades away. And there is freedom. So as we close, we're going to do something a little bit different today. I'm going to pray over us, um, but I'm going to pray a prayer um, that Martin Luther prayed hundreds of years ago. But I, I feel that just as real as it was for him then, it applies to us today. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, although you could rightly and properly be a severe judge over us sinners, now through your mercy, implant in our hearts a comforting trust in your fatherly love and let us experience the sweet and pleasant savor, the freedom of a childlike certainty that we may joyfully call you Father, knowing and loving you and calling on you in every trouble. Amen.